May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and we wanted to discuss the health disparities within the Asian and Asian American and Pacific Islander communities and the possible reasons for why. Being a first-generation Thai and Chinese American, this issue hits home because I remember when I was first diagnosed, the first thing that I thought of was how was I going to break the news to my conservative Chinese family that my cervical cancer was a result of HPV. My dear friend and ate, or sister in Tagalog, Arlene Simpson, also experienced the same feeling and shares her cervical cancer story. And later in the episode, we chat with Dr. Mihai Song, a gynecologic oncologist at the City of Hope in Duarte, California, and some ways we can address some of these disparities to help close the gap. Perfect. So thank you so much for both. I have a two special guests on the show today. I have Arlene Simpson uh, from Seattle, Washington. And then I also have Dr. Song, who's here located at City of Hope in Southern California. So thank you both for uh, being on the show today. Um, this is, you know, this episode is uh, for Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which uh, where it's coming up. So we wanted to get some perspectives from um, our community. So Arlene, I wanted to start off with you. Um, you know, I know being a Filipino American, you know, I wanted to talk about your diagnosis and your treatment and your experience amongst, um, you know, being a part of the Asian community. Well, thank you for having me today, Jocelyn. I truly appreciate it. Um, me being Filipino American, with my um, health record, I was diagnosed with endometriosis and dysmenorrhea in my early 30s. Right after my mom passed away, um, I was going through a lot of pain um, in my abdomen area. But ever since I started my period when I was 10 years old, there was all, there was a history of painful periods. Um, so my history is I've always had pain down there, mm -hmm. right? So I, I had my baby at my early 20s. I didn't really know anything about gynecological checkups, vaccinations, anything of that sort. And I, after my baby was born, I started then going to my gynecologist. Right. Well, 2009 was when I was first diagnosed with or having the HPV. Um, mm -hmm. again, it was never really told to me. All they said was, you know, in three months, come back. Most people have HPV. It'll go back to normal. So it would always go back to normal, but then abnormal. So my patient, me as a patient, I was what you call abnormal was my normal. I never knew anything different. I just knew that I had pain in my abdomens. I always had uterine fibroids, endometriomas. Mm -hmm. I had surgeries to remove large fibroids, but those symptoms that I had mirrored, uh, you know, they mirrored cervical cancer, but they never really tested me for cervical cancer. Um, mm -hmm. So when I was, uh, pandemic came 2020, of course, nobody went to go see right. their 
gynecologist, right? And my gynecologist was actually in California and I was living in Seattle at the time. So it's only back in August of 2021 when I went to go see my daughter, I decided to schedule all my medical appointments and it was there that I hemorrhaged on the table. And it was then that the light bulb clicked in my gynecologist's office and she oh said, goodness. I'm going to take a biopsy right now. I'm going to schedule you for a pelvic ultrasound. You got to do this before you go back to Seattle. Oh my goodness. So I did it that day. And the next day went to Seattle, thought everything was fine. Uh, a week later, she called me and she said, are you sitting down? And I said, yes, uh, what's up? And she's like, um, well, the biopsy and the pelvic ultrasound, we found cervical cancer. And I'm just kind of, are you sure? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, cervical cancer? I'm like, is it pre-cancer, cervical cancer? I'm like, what's that? What's going on? Like, I didn't, I, when I heard the C word, I was kind of just shocked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you never think that you can have cancer, right? And then right. Also me being and having everybody in my family, a medical doctor, a nurse, a psychiatrist, everything medical. Why was I not told of any of these vaccines? Mm -hmm. It kind of pissed me off. You know? Right. Right. Um, but then, of course, you put your thoughts together, you cry it out, and then mm -hmm. you say, I got cancer, but cancer ain't got me. Time for me to fight. And so I did. Right. And I know you, you're, you're still fighting, right? We've almost done and we're getting closer, right, to finishing everything up. Um, I was declared Ned. Oh, good. No evidence of disease on March 22nd, but I am continuing Yay. with therapy. Um, right. I've had, you know, have to see rheumatologists, hematologists, those kind of doctors, just to everything in your body doesn't go back to normal, you know, and exactly all these things I was feeling came six months afterwards. So now I'm in the process of like understanding what's going on in my body getting it to heal and taking that time to say, you know what, you went through something traumatic. Don't blame yourself. Take your time, understand your body. And um, it's okay. Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of times I'm like, I'm, I'm supposed to be okay. Look at me. I right. No, I, it's funny because you mentioned this thing where you're like, I don't know what a, what's the cervix, like what, what what is it? And I we both have had children and I have to admit, I was, you know, we I was never told I even had a cervix, right? Like before I was diagnosed. And it goes back to this whole notion, even though you said a lot of your family's in medical profession, I think it's like, you know, going back to our kind of Asian heritage, right? We don't talk about things, right? We just don't. We just assume that you'll get the information later. And when you need the information, you'll get it, right? Like you don't talk about this ahead of time. And I, I remember when the doctor told me, I said, what, what is a cervix? I don't even know what a cervix, because I was 18. So I didn't, you know, I didn't think I 
even knew what a cervix was versus why do I need a cervix, right? Until you're pregnant and having children. So we, it goes back to this notion, right? As Asian Americans or Asians in general, we just don't talk about certain things, right? And you're shaking your head because you're like, yeah, I agree because we did it, you know, and even having your, like you said, your family and medical profession, you did it. My mom had a master's degree and she was still like, no, we, we don't talk about that stuff. You know, like we, we just don't talk about it. So I think that that really kind of lends itself to us, you know, having to start talking about it now. And you said you didn't even know that there was HPV vaccine, you know, you didn't, you know we we went to doctors but we we talked about things but we didn't really talk about certain things so do you do you feel like as an asian american now this has to change like how do you think we we're, we're needing to change that absolutely i mean even with our parents still or our you know the older generation right they they seem to think that you know you're okay you got the treatment so why talk about it? Just move forward. Mm, you know, you're yeah. fine. You know, and it's one of those things that we don't need to blow it up or we, you don't need to talk about it anymore. You know, you, they're all about moving forward, right. but they fail to understand that a lot of times when we were younger, there were other things, not just our health, but other things we want to talk to our parents about, but we're so yeah. scared. Like, yeah, can't talk about that, you know, or, or we'll get in trouble for talking about it. And I think that's what a lot of Asian women feel is if they speak, mm -hmm. somebody will think, oh, you're so promiscuous. Oh, you're wild. Oh, what did you right. do with your life? So they don't want to talk about, you know, below the belt, those kind of things. It's gross. Um, exactly. It's like that stigma, right? Of anything about sex and the fact that cervical cancer, you know, was linked to H is linked to HPV and that is linked to sometimes, you know, talking about sex, then it's like, we can't talk about it. Right. But it's weird. Cause if you talk about breast cancer, right. It's like, okay, we could talk about it amongst certain communities. And I know in my family, it's okay. We could talk about breast cancer because that has nothing to do what they feel is sex. It's your body. Right. So it's this weird, weird dynamic and weird stigma that we really need to address. And I'm so happy to have Dr. Song here, who is going to help us kind of understand these health disparities and these issues that we're having amongst the Asians, um, Asian and Asian Pacific Islander community. So Dr. Song, thank you so much for, for being with us today. No, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's really an honor just to be here with you guys and talking about these issues that are very important. Yes, yeah, so we're so excited to have you. And so I know that, so you work at the City of Hope down in Southern California, and I believe if I'm in, uh, say, Mon Monrovia? Norte, close by. Norte, okay. I was like close because that's kind of my area. So I was like, I think it's around there. But um, kind of talk to us. I know you, you, so you're a gynecologic oncologist. What made you want to get involved in this career? Because it, it's a specific field of oncology and, and not, you know, combines gyneco gynecology and oncology, but it's really a specific field. So what made you kind of get involved in that field? Yeah. So, you know, my parents immigrated here and, you know, I was born here in the U.S. Um, but, you know, being small business owners, they didn't actually have health insurance growing up. So, you know, health was very important to them and they did um, everything to not get sick. Right. Because if you get sick, you have to go to the doctor or hospital. Yeah. They had no insurance. And then so um, it was kind of embedded in us like at a very young age, like don't get sick. Let's not go to the doctor. But at the same time, they wanted a doctor in the family, right? Because 
They were <laughs> like, we don't have access to healthcare, but you know, we want to be healthy. Right. And then, so, yes. um, for me, it was like, you know, ingrained, like, you know, when you become older, you should become a doctor. And I think it's like a lot of Asian, you know, culture, yes. like doctor, lawyer, yes. nurse, um, you know, and right, the big three, right. The doctor, <laughs> the finance and the attorney, right. You got to have all exactly. three. Yep. And because they don't have access. Right. And so they said, you know, you are my access. And then, so I think they're like, all right, you're good at science, math. Let's, you know, have you become a doctor. And then, but, you know, thankfully, you know, I was very interested in, um, in it as well. And then, so, um, I actually didn't know anything about gynecology because my mom never went to gynecologist, you know, after she had, you know, us and mm-hmm. you know, because, there was nothing, you know, to, you know, why go to gynecology unless you have a problem. Right. And then, so right. there was like nothing about prevention or screening or pelvic exams. And, you know, they didn't want to pay the cost of like just an exam for the sake of getting an exam. And then, so it was really, um, during my medical school years when I did my OBGYN, you know, rotation. And then I was like, there is a field OBGYN and it was, and, you know, I've been to a pediatrician, I've been to like a primary care. So I knew yeah. about those fields, but right. GYN was totally you know, a new field for me. And then, so when I saw women there, especially because my training was among the underserved population, you know, just uh-huh. seeing how they came to the gynecologist, you know, at their kind of, at their desperate need. Right. Um, and so, and especially in oncology, you know, dealing with gynecologic cancers uh, was a very difficult time for them. It's not something they share about, like you're both mentioning, you know, it's right very yeah. private, um, mm-hmm. they're vulnerable in front of their gynecologist. And so when I, um, after that, you know, rotation, it really, um, yeah, I really had the desire to be with women who chose, um, to be vulnerable in front of their physicians. And mm-hmm. so, um, it's been an honor and really a privilege just to be with them throughout their whole, you know, cancer diagnosis journey. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Cause I think you've hit it kind of on the spot that a lot of women, when they go to a gynecologic oncologist at this point, it's needed. It's not a prevention, but they don't, they still feel like it's a very private conversation, right? Like I, I st- there it's different because you're supposed to be trusting your doctor to, at, you know, administer the treatment that you need, but if you're so private, you can't even talk about it. It becomes kind of this obstacle, right? That you can't, you can't even tell them the symptoms you're having or the, or the feelings that you're having. So I think it's such a, a, it's nice to see that there are other gynecologic oncologists there that kind of represent the culture that's coming in, you know, the diversity, you know, so that way they feel a little bit more comfortable that they kind of understand, you know, where we come from kind of thing. I remember my, my grandmother always saying, at least she knows where I come from because she had a Chinese doctor and she was like, she knows where I come from, even though we're not in the same region, she knows, right? Like she feels comfortable. So I remember that. No, I definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think you definitely hit it because I think, you know, being comfortable, you know, when you're talking about like eye problems or like a skin uh, cancer, you know, it's just easy to share with your friends. Like, you know, right. You know, I have this thing, who do you recommend for me to go? But when you have like gynecologic, like, um, like discharge or bleeding, those are words you don't want to just share publicly and, you know, yeah. with friends. so it's, you know, it takes a lot for women to go there, you know, gynecology, especially in the Asian American culture, because uh-huh. it's something that you don't want to talk about something kind of like secret. And so, you know, it's definitely building their relationship first to become comfortable right. for an Asian American um, to like share. 
I think Arlene's nodding because, uh, right, Arlene, we would both kind of agree that we we wouldn't, I mean, even as females, we wouldn't talk about like, yes, you're right, we have this discharge or we're having pain down there or we're having unusual bleeding, right? I don't, I don't know talking to my girlfriends about it. And I didn't ever felt comfortable because it's this weird, you know, taboo. We don't talk about it, right? But you're right, right? Arlene, have you ever mentioned that to your friends at all when we were growing up? Well, oddly enough, even when I saw the gynae oncologist, I was kind of like, should I tell her everything? Because yeah. I was like, oh, that's what I, I really should I, you know, because like yeah. Dr. Song was saying, I never really had a physician. It was my dad. Right. So everything I divulged to him, it was, you know, oh, here's the medicine. You're OK. But this is like cancer. And. I was, she yeah. would ask me these questions, you know, and I'm kind of like, mm, it's kind of, and right. like, luckily my husband was there and he was like, you, you need to tell her the truth. And so she's like, this is the time where you need to be open because this is a serious matter. You know, I just didn't, I was still hesitant to even talk to the gynae oncologist about mm -hmm. the symptoms I was having down there. So it's, uh, it is hard. No, yeah. So I kind of want to switch a little bit of gears and talk about this rise because I've seen a lot of reports talking about the rise of cancer, um, especially cervical cancer, um, rising in the Asian American um, community. So I think UC Davis has um, a new quote coming out or a report that said that um, especially Vietnamese Americans with the highest rates in the U.S. for cervical cancer. So uh, Dr. Song, could you give us some, help us to understand why do you think that this is, you know, such getting us such a high rate now? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, cervical cancer definitely because of the pap test screening has gone down and because of the vaccine, right? So mm -hmm. it's um, exciting, you know, for us to be like, maybe one day we could cure cancer. Right. Yeah. So cervical cancer is one of them with the vaccine and, you know, good screening test. Uh -huh. But again, you know, I think when we, you know, um, talk about that statistics, we really have to break it down to, you know, different population, especially in the U.S., right? Because we're not just a homogeneous population. So in the right. U.S., you have, you know, a lot of different uh, people living here. And so for, especially for Asian Americans though, we have to look at that population because it's going to be very different to your, you know, Caucasian female population. Uh -huh. So, you know, I think when we talk about, you know, why there's such a disparity in terms of, you know, rates of cervical cancer, I think we really have to look at, you know, you know, it's the knowledge, you know, where uh -huh. country of origin, when do they immigrate here? Um, do they have regular source of care? You know, and also the cultural attitudes about, you know, sexual activity and what that leads to. So I think because of those differences, um, definitely, I think the rates are, you know, it, it was higher. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, coming from like the country of origin and then also just, um, you know, the language barrier also, right? Because I mean, depending on how, how long you've immigrated here, um, English will, will not be your first language. And it becomes a difficult situation where the clinician or um, an OB or a gynecologic oncologist doesn't speak a certain language and there has to be a translation. So that's also a barrier, right? Because I've seen that, especially with my grandmother, when she was going to the doctor, I was her translator. Like I, as a child was her translator and a doctor telling me how to tell her how to take her medicine. So 
I think there that is a really big issue. And I think also, do you think about health insurance, right? Because you mentioned at the beginning, you know, your parents being um, having their own business. Insurance was also difficult to access at the time, right? Before we had, you know, yeah. Obamacare and, you know, health insurance now. But, you know, I wonder if that's, you know, an issue as well. No, I definitely agree. So like when we talk about country or origin, like they, you know, um, kind of group all the Asians together. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I looked at it, it was like tw- more than 20 countries and <laughs> South Asia, and they all kind of combine us into like Asian, you know, but, right. you know, but the, there's like t- more than 200 dialects and languages within the Asian population. Right. So when you mm-hmm. go to see a doctor, you know, most people are not going to have their specific doctor speaking that dialect. Right. And I yeah. think, you know, before they had, you know, interpreters on, you know, your iPad, right. Cause you don't have iPad then. So if you didn't have your, you know, child speaking, you know, and interpreting and yeah. that child is not going to know what cervix is. Right. And then yeah. so like pap test, like it's okay. You know, you have a word for arm or, you know, face or, you know, different body parts, but for uterus cervix, you know, it's so hard for them to interpret that. Right. So, yeah. you know, we really have to think about, you know, the country of origin, just how, and language too, like you're talking about language barrier mm-hmm. and, you know, going to a doctor who, you know, you most probably are not going to a doctor who like looks like you, speaks the same language, has mm-hmm. the same cultural, you know, awareness is that like communication is going to be a huge barrier, especially I think in gynecology. Um, and, you know, growing up, I spoke English, but I didn't have any vocabulary in the gynecology, you know, terms. yeah. And I was like, what's a uterus? Like, you know, my parents didn't teach me the right words because in their culture, I was like, we don't, we don't have, we don't want to see the, you know, the term for that, you know, so we'll use like a different, you know, word for, you know, your body part. And then, so growing up, I was like, wait, and then when I was a teenager and an adult, I was like, wait, that's not the real word. I was so confused. No, then, I you know, completely agree. They, they described it to me as a function. Like yeah. it, it yeah. wasn't the actual term. Cause I asked her, so wait, I need to know the actual term for cervix. Yeah. And they said, it's the thing it's like, so they described it as like a plug. Yeah. And that's the function. And I said, no, 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 that's the function of it. But what exactly do you call it? Were they, um, we, did Arlene, did you have one too? They introduce it as a fruit or a flower. Okay. That's right. That's right. The fruit or a fruit or your flower. And you're like, okay, well, you know, the birds and the bees, it's like those kind of things later on, you're like, is that the flower? And you know, you're talking to your doctor in this like kitty language. Oh, my flower. And, <laughs> yeah, because that's what my parents called it. No, it I, yeah, yeah, right. No, so if it can't even name it, how are you supposed to even talk about it, right? So if you have like, if you're so uncomfortable saying the name, you can't even describe it, you know? And then, so I think it stems from that. So like the communication, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I think it's, you know, important to really take that into account when we talk about the Asian, you know, community. And then, so- that- it's funny because I I also picture the model, right? Because I know every doctor's office has that plastic model, right? Mm-hmm. To like show the body parts. And I just remember like, it was like they were describing it. It's like also you mentioned you talk about your face. So you could touch your face, you could touch your hand, you could touch your arm, right? But it's like, how do I explain the inside to a person, right? Because that's difficult, you know, because the cervix is not 
visible unless you're, you know, looking inside a person. And that's always difficult to describe to somebody, but I completely agree. The language barrier is a, a huge issue for, I think, you know, for our cultures, because like you said, there's over 200 dialects, you know, Chinese alone. I know, you know, there's Mandarin Cantonese, but then you also have other dialects within, you know, in the Chinese uh, language. Um, I know you, you, we mentioned, you know, just the awareness, because I think that also this language barrier, I think, kind of also links to the awareness, right? Because if we don't talk about it, then we can't help our future generations become aware of it, right? I think that really kind of is the the link of everything, really, I feel. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, I think, um, you know, definitely Arlene talked about it as well, like, you know, because, you know, you know, your family being surprised that you wanted to, you know, talk about it, even, you know, to be an advocate. And I think Asian Americans, you know, are kind of reluctant to kind of advocate for their own um, physical or mental health. And, you know, especially in gynecology is something that you don't talk about. So how are you supposed to advocate it for other people? Mm-hmm. And then, so, you know, when we um, have that, um, I guess, cultural like situation where you're not comfortable in it, like then yeah. we advocate for someone else, you know, you should do this pap, you know, pap test, you should get a vaccine. What is HPV? Can we talk about HPV, you know, and, you know, and normalize it instead of being a stigma, you know, yeah. to get it done, you know, even people who've grown up here and even among my peers are, you know, kind of hesitant even with their kids to get their vaccine. And I was like, why, you know, and because, you know, I don't want them to think that it's okay to have sex then, you know? And so right. all these misconception, miscommunication, I think uh-huh. stems from that. So exactly. I wonder also, cause I know you mentioned about your parents and your, your upbringing and they did everything to prevent you from going to the doctor. Right. I know my grandmother would give me this tonic that was like an orange syrup of vitamin C and she made me drink that every morning to prevent me from getting sick. It was like, it was the most tonic, thick tonic, like syrup, but it, and because it tastes like oranges, I think she assumed it was vitamin C, but I wonder this thing of, it goes back to this Eastern Western medicine, right? For us, I'm not sure if, you know, what your thoughts are about that, because I feel like that's also in some of the Asian cultures, Eastern medicine is a very big deal and we we've grown up on it. I mean, it's thousands of years of herbs and tonics and, you know, other types of, you know, uh, holistic medicine or, or Eastern medicine. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that between Eastern and Western, if that's kind of another obstacle or issue that we run into. Yeah, no, I think just, especially for my, you know, patient, uh, my parent and patient, my parents' generation who come here, you know, they were used to um, like the, the Eastern medicine is kind of like really prevention mm-hmm. uh, about treating the person as a whole, whereas like Western medicine is more, okay, here is a disease diagnosis, let's treat it with a specific drug, right? And then so when they, you know, have that, okay, I have this herb or this thing for you or acupuncture to really treat your body and whole, like it kind of like contradicts what, you know, when they go see a doctor for, you know, the Western doctor, it, mm-hmm. it contradicts to their beliefs about how their disease should be treated. So um, I think that, you know, also it's hesitant about like, what is chemotherapy or what is radiation? Like, how is it harming my body? Like, it doesn't seem natural. Like, can you really tell me what, like, how is this going to work? Right. And then, so right. I think, you know, my parents, you know, growing up was like, you know, let, 
we'll use a natural things to make you mm-hmm. healthy and uh, for you to not get sick. Um, and then, so when you get sick, it's like, okay, what do I do now? You know? And then, so exactly, exactly. I think it's, it's this other, the other cultural thing, but I've, I've, I remember my dad got sick and his doctors were like, it's okay, but I need you to tell me exactly what you're taking because it does have some complications with the medicine that we do. Cause it's all chemistry. Right. So it's, you know, that's another thing is just to be forthright with your doctors. Like some doctors are happy, you know, if anything to get you to eat. Cause I think that was a thing she, he was like, I just need your dad to eat. So if that herb kind of gets him to stimulus to eat, that's fine. I'm happy with it, but I just need to know just so that I understand. So it doesn't conflict with any of the medication that we're giving him. But I think, you know, there is room for that. Right. And I think I want our listeners to understand there is room for Eastern and Western. We just need to be more communicative with our doctors to say, I would like to try this and we can definitely work with it. Some options here. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So like, you know, I always tell um, anyone who comes in, like, you know, what are you taking for medic? You know, we do a full medication list, Mm -hmm. but also tell me, you know, the non-prescribed, you know, medicine that you're taking. Right. And then for a lot of Asian Americans, like it's hard for them to say it in English because most probably they're taking are not in English. Right. And then so the physician who's not, you know, um, aware of those medicines, you know, I think sometimes the patient may feel like, oh, there's a stigma for me to tell you, okay, I'm taking a non, you know, prescribed medication. Like what is my doctor going to think of me? Right. Like if I'm taking Mm -hmm. the herb, they're going to say, okay, how come they, they, you know, they don't want to disappoint the doctor. Right. Cause they don't want to be like, I'm taking something you didn't give me, but at the same Mm -hmm. time I, you know, so as a provider, I really want to encourage, you know, people to tell me so that I could, we could work together to Mm -hmm. help for your, you know, for your care. Cause I think, you know, now that we have Google, we know how to, you know, how to search, how things interact and, yes. you know, it's safer for you. So we have information at our fingertips, you know, and then, but we need to work together. I think um, that's the most important thing. Yes. No, I definitely agree with that. So, so we talked about some of the disparities and some of the issues that, you know, has played kind of our culture. Now, I want to kind of talk about maybe, you know, how do we address these, you know, how, what are some solutions that, or that you've seen in your practice as well in your research, you know, to combat a lot of this, these um, issues that we're having. Um, so yeah, I think definitely having like cultural, like appropriate um, interventions uh-huh. um, to target these specific communities are going to be the most helpful. You know, I know we talk about, you know, especially it works in all areas, like increasing knowledge of what cervical cancer is and pap tests, but it shouldn't be generalized to all Asians. It really should, uh, we should really study, you know, how they best receive information. And for some community communities, it may be through, you know, the healthcare community, like lay navigators, you know, uh, nurses, doctors, they may have more um, impact on that community. Right. For some communities, it might be, you know, your family. And then so, you know, I know in Western culture is like patient oriented, you have like autonomy. And so like family doesn't really play a huge part in, in terms of cancer care, but in especially Asian Americans, very like family focused. So, you know, you may have to talk to the, you know, the older generation or, you know, for them to be familiar with it so that, you know, it's okay for them, everybody else to be, you know, okay to talk about it. Right. And Uh so I think learning those, you know, cultural specific interventions will definitely help them. Um, Another example is like house of worship. So like 
whether it be, you know, religion could be a huge, play a huge part, right? But it doesn't have to be so separate from health. You know, you know, you could have those health outreach programs at those, you know, places of worship. And then so really interacts, you know, interact with the population where they best are at. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, like you said, it's funny, I never thought of um, house of worships, like churches and temples that we go to, because for us, they're so sacred, right? We don't talk about things like that, but that's where we congregate. That's where we, you know, uh, meet with our family and friends for lunch, you know, after service, you know, most, uh, you know, some temples have certain lunches and they chit chat and, you know, so that's a great place to start. And also, like you said, the network, you know, I think, it, I think the the barrier, you know, I know Arlene mentioned before is that generation, right? Our older generation, it's really hard to change their viewpoint because I think they've been raised already in a certain way. It's hard to kind of change that, you know, um, do you have any suggestions with that, with the generational? Because the younger generation, they seem more accepting of this information, right? Like they seem more, you know, oh, they're like they said, they're they're the Google generation. Right? My daughter is the Google generation where she looks up anything and she can, you know, decipher and define that. But for our older generations, you know, besides going to the you know, different places of worship, uh, what do you, what else do you recommend for them? Yeah, no, I think, you know, my, uh, my parents and their friends always look at news. Like, you know, they, mm. they watch Korean news. I'm like, you don't even live in Korea, but they're so interested <laughs> in like Korean news. Um, and then, so like those like commercials or like even the news anchor or like people with authority can speak mm. to, um, about, you know, cervical cancer or other cancers and, you know, screening strategies. So, you know, they're, um, like where they get their information, like newspapers. So, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if people read newspapers anymore, but, you know, if they've had articles, you know, and um, I think they will read that more, right? And I think, you know, advocacy and just testimonies, you know, I think mm-hmm. people talk about other people's stories and this is how they get impacted, right? And then so if people talked about their journey more with cervical cancer, especially in the older generation, mm-hmm. something that they would listen to and really take it to heart. Um, a lot of people come in and say, you know, I don't want chemotherapy because my friends at church, you know, went through chemotherapy and they had a really hard time. It didn't help them. So they already had come in with a notion saying chemo is bad. And oh. it's hard, you know, it's hard to change that, you know, from the very beginning, you know, when a doctor tells them, you know, like, yeah, I know you're a doctor and you're going to tell me chemo is important, but I have all these friends who try chemo, it didn't work, right? And then so, you know, I think testimonies, stories, um, especially among their generation and in their language, I think uh-huh. it really helps them to understand it from, and they have more trust, they have more trust and faith, right? And stories, yes. you know, that what, is true. yeah. Yeah, Arlene? You said um, chemotherapy, oh, my friend had it. I don't want to go through that. I was even like that because taking care of both my mother and my mother-in-law who had terminal illnesses and seeing like how hard, like they lost weight, they could not eat. I was like, I don't want to be one of those numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I I was into the, I want to do it holistically because I even asked my oncologist, will I survive this? They said, if I wait, because I was all into the naturopathic and the holistic and, you know, put Vicks all over myself, you know, <laughs> you know your, grandma teaches, your grandma teaches you that. And I said, I thought I had time, yeah. but, you know, 
when you're talking about a tumor and you know growing once it's there it can grow pretty aggressively which mm -hmm. is what happened to me so um i think it was the education and then hearing other people's stories i was like okay i think i'll be okay mm. but i mean initially you said like sometimes me you know i saw what it did to my friend or i saw what it did to a, a person that i knew and i'm like oh no i'm not going to go through that and that's that's i think what a lot of people get in their minds but when you said you have to hear the stories or um, more stories of patients and um get more educated i think yeah. Yeah. No, I think you, um, you said it like, I think survivors who tell their story and say, you know, this is what I went through, um, you know, and like tell their journey, I think, cause a lot of people hear stories from people, you know, who had a really difficult, difficult time. Right. And then it kind of puts right. up of like that treatment, but if you hear from people, but I think, you know, you were saying like, even after you're done, like for people who are done, they don't want to talk about it. Cause it's like, past and it's you know hard to talk about it again and but I think it's those stories you know it's very difficult but you know we definitely I think it's needed especially in this community just so that we could raise awareness mm -hmm. give them the right you know words to say like you know and education but I think it has to be through like a cultural lens right and um, for specific communities like we shouldn't lump everybody in one group and so I I think that's right. I completely agree. Cause I think we've like, we've all, we, I mean, I think we've all have gotten this as Asian, um, you know, Americans and Asian as general that we all kind of look the same. So they all lump us together, you know, and we're not, when we all have different backgrounds, we all grew up very differently. And I think we, we really need to separate those and break those down and look at them. Like you said, at different, you know, what every kind of look at different cultures and see where they're getting their information. Cause I, it, it's when you said, you know, news, uh, Korean news, my family still watches the Thai news from Thailand and they use it. They watch it through YouTube mm -hmm. and they're always telling me all these stories. And you're like, wait a minute, like that's like thousands of miles away. You don't live there anymore. I mean, I don't understand and they're like, yeah, but we still want to be connected. And so I completely forgot about that because I'm so used to being receiving, you know, use here about my local news. Right. And so I think you're right. I think we, we forgot about that, that generation where they still have this huge tie to their homeland. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, Arlene, you know, your, your parents probably still have, um, send, you know, boxes back to the Philippines, right. That you still have the, the, the connection with the Philippines. My family still watches the Thai news and Dr. Song's family still, uh, parents still listen to Korean news. Right. So I think it's, we forget about that. And I, I love the fact that we need to start addressing that generation because, you know, I think they're not, we don't want to forget them. And also they also, I, I get we also as as children, right? I think my daughter was raised, I was raised by my grandmother, you know, so they still have an impact on the younger generation as well, you know, whether or not we want to believe it. Yeah. Um, you know, I also kind of want to ask about the generation, right? So we talked about the older generation, the younger generation, are you seeing any increase of the younger generation? Like, cause you know, with COVID, a lot of us didn't go to the doctor. So some of us didn't get the preventive care that we should have been getting, you know, are you seeing any increase with the younger generation, you know, um, with any increase in diagnosis with cervical cancer? Yeah, no, it's a little bit um, sad because now, you know, if it was kind of like, 
forgotten, well, not forgotten, but definitely, you know, um, was not addressed in the past two to three years during COVID, mm-hmm. especially with PAV tests. It's like, okay, if it's not an urgent or emergent emergency, you know, you could wait right. until later, right? And especially because PAV test screening has kind of increased its um, interval, right? You don't have to get it every year now. So people think, oh, I could go in three to five years, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, and then so um, we are seeing definitely people coming back with advanced cancers and, you know, Sally, you know, you know, it's been progress progressing. Um, and especially, you know, they've had symptoms before again, because they weren't talking about it. It's not something they wanted to like risk their, you know, risk their lives going to a doctor's you know office at the height of the pandemic. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, but hopefully we're, you know, now that it's been open, you know, we're hoping that we can definitely put out the word there, you know, like the pap tests, screening is very, very important. And the vaccine is very important. Yeah, no, I just, I, I, I was curious because I think I'm still technically on the, the higher end of the millennial, you know, stage. So it's kind of looking at that. And a lot of the times it's not a priority. Like you said, for us, it's like our work, our careers, our children, you know, our family, and we forget about the, the things that we should be you know, think about, which is our healthcare, our care. Um, and I think that's another thing, you know, we don't talk about, you know, how do we really care for ourselves? You know, we, like you said, we do talk about maybe prevention. And I think that's part of this, something that we need to talk about in, to increase that prevention. I think a lot of it too, is a lot of us are moms. Yeah, We're yeah. used to taking care of other people. Yeah. So when something happens to us, we kind of just blow it off or say, I'll take care of it later. Mm-hmm. And um, self-care, I think I learned a lot of that going through this cancer is you need to really take time to take care of you mm-hmm. uh, and say no to people and um, know that, you know, now is your time to take care of you and um, yes. everybody else will be okay. And I think that's what a lot of moms, we have that mentality. We'll just need to take care of the kids. We need to cook dinner. We got to, you know drive our kids to practice all of these things but what about us yeah you know? no I definitely hear that among my friends too it's like you know they have young kids or older kids and mm-hmm. you know, going to school activities it's like getting a pap test is like a last thing on my mind you know and so I think um, what you said about self-care is very important you know these are um, things that we can do to like help our family in the future but you know a lot of times it's, a, it's on the back burner it is it's difficult and I think by keeping the conversation going keeping us talking about it and sharing our stories like you said and Arlene and I are doing and just addressing this you know from all standpoints and really understanding the culture I think we can we can make a dent in this so I I thank you both for being on the show um, and you know talking about this and you know giving us a voice in this so thank you so much Arlene and Dr. Song for being here I truly appreciate your time and we look forward to talking with you some more thank you so much Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. As both Dr. Song and Arlene mentioned, we can close the gap by sharing our story. Talk to your friends, family, colleagues, even people you meet at temple or church. The more we share our story, the more we can increase awareness about HPV and cervical cancer. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and share it with others. Thank you for listening and stay tuned to our next episode.